A very good morning to you. Welcome to Brighton Road. Welcome to those of you here. Welcome to those of you joining us online. After three months not really being here in my study, reading and writing and thinking, it feels good to be back. It feels good to be here. I hope it's good for you to be here as well. Special welcome to Matt and Heather and Rowan Levin, back from up north. Great to see you here this morning. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. Fred, I bring you some sad news. One of our members, Karen Henslow, has died. It's a long time since Karen worshipped with us, uh, uh, but uh, Brian's kept in touch with her faithfully over, over the years, and uh, we give thanks for her, and we commend her to God. As is Easter faith, we remember that Jesus came and died for us so that we might live together with him. So I hope to see you over Easter at London Methodist Church on Monday, Thursday, or here in the town centre on Good Friday for breakfast next Sunday, 9.15. If you're intending to come to breakfast, please remember to sign up on reception before you go so we can get the numbers right. Our call to worship is on the screen. Can I invite you to join together in the response in yellow, please? We gather to seek God to praise the Creator, to adore the Son, to abide in the Spirit. We give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. We gather on this last Sunday of Lent to share in the praise of Palm Sunday and to anticipate the events of Holy Week, to journey towards the cross and the two. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. God's steadfast love endures us We gather together, bringing all the worries and wonders of the world, bringing all that is heavy in our hearts or light in our souls, bringing all the joys and challenges of life, whatever our circumstances. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Amen. So let's stand and sing. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King.
thanks for you are an almighty God. We bring you our hallelujahs because you are a wonderful God. We bring you our dreams because you are a faithful God. And we bring you our discipleship because you are an encouraging God. And we bring you our hearts for you are a loving God. And we put our trust in you. Amen. Hosanna in the highest. Briefly to call out a word or a phrase of praise to God. Open prayer, giving God the glory that's due to him this morning. Then let's call him our king. Let's see. You are the king.
please sit down. Tim's going to bring us our first reading. Our first reading is taken from John, chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. We reflect on the events of that past Sunday as we use a responsive reading again. I invite you to say together the words on the earth. Ride on, Lord Jesus, upon a colt, over cloaks, under branches. Ride on, Lord Jesus. Towards a city, through its gates, past the crowds. Ride on, Lord Jesus. And as hosannas fade, and enemies sneer, as danger closes, and friends falter, ride on, Lord Jesus, showing the way, teaching the truth, bringing life for all, in the name of the Lord, ride on, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing the hymn right on in majesty.
Do please be seated. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, you rode into Jerusalem, knowing that that would be the place of suffering and loss and betrayal and death for you. Thank you that you didn't flinch, you didn't turn back, you followed the path assigned to you to its end. And you did that for us. Thank you that you come as Saviour and Lord into the mess and the suffering of our broken world. And you come as our Saviour and as our Redeemer. And we lift to you our feelings of grief and anguish and horror at the things that are happening. The atrocities committed in Ukraine that we have read about and seen in this past week and which are continuing even as we speak. Lord, come and take your reign in that land to protect and deliver and save and rescue. Bring peace and justice, we pray. Healing for those injured and traumatised in body and mind and spirit. Deliverance for those trapped. We pray that humanitarian corridors would stay open today. That civilians would be saved. And we bring you our own feelings of anger or dismay at the way in which our government has made it so difficult for people from Ukraine to come here. And the way in which those who have come have been treated in some places. And we repent before you for that. May those seeking a safe place find it, we pray. We think of the issues we grapple with as a nation. Sense of prosperity and well-being taken from us. We pray for those who suddenly find that they can't see a way forward financially. Pray that you would open a way for them. Enable them to adjust and adapt and find a way through where at the moment doors seem to be closed. We pray for families under pressure at the start of the Easter holidays with children and young people home. For some that will be a joy, for some that will be difficult. We pray for protection and safety, peace and patience. 
and we pray for ourselves and those known to us, those grieving because of bereavement, those facing serious illness or drastic courses of treatment, those who feel down in the depths with no light or hope. You've promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. May we find you in any and every circumstance. And in this week, as we confront the despair of Good Friday, give us the endurance and trust to wait for the light that dawns with your resurrection on Easter Sunday. For we pray this, Jesus, in your name, the Lord of all. Amen. Some words from Psalm 31, verses 9 to 16. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbours and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Amen. Stand and sing together, still my soul, be still.
in her podcast, Walking Humbly, Sally Foster Fulton invites us to imagine two processions entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And Jesus' little ragtag procession would have been a blip on the screen compared to what was going on the other side of town. Because at the other side of town, Pontius Pilate was entering Jerusalem. Coming in from the coast with 600 foot soldiers, horses, armour, banners and flags and standards bearing great carved golden eagles, the symbol of Roman authority and beating drums. The cadence of heavy footfall in Jerusalem during Passover would have been teeming with Jewish pilgrims and a hotbed of tension. Rome wanted Israel to be in no doubt about who was in charge. Can you imagine it? The cheers would have been eerily similar to the ones we think of when we remember Palm Sunday. After all, Caesar was Rome's Prince of Peace. Caesar was Rome's Son of God. And Pontius Pilate was his representative. And then came Jesus, down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, on an agricultural tool, not a war machine. The imagery couldn't have been clearer. I am for peace. And seen this way, the triumphal entry is a send-up, a parody <coughs> of Pilate's great procession, a mockery of it. And it wasn't an accident either, it was a staged demonstration. So today we follow in a long line of holy protests. Jesus' disciples claim that real power and authority sat with peace. So what, some might say, so what if there were two parades? What does that matter? Well, it matters because there are always two parades, aren't there? And we have to decide which one we will join. When we choose to forgive or not, we choose a certain path. When we choose what we will do with our money, our energy, our love. We walk a certain way. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfil the word, the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, 
that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the seat, on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over uh, to them to be crucified. Stand and sing, my, my soul is love.
What is truth? Do you recognise it when you see it? Can you see through all the attempts that there are to distort it, to twist it, to conceal it today? Do we have an image on the screen, please? Is there a slide for the sermon? Yeah, great, thank you. Who do we believe? Do we believe Moscow's denial of the horrific atrocities that are featured in our news this past week? Many people in Russia seem to. It's the only narrative they hear. Is there any credibility? Is any of this fake news? Or closer to home, what about the Partygate controversy that, that pops up in the headlines again? Did the Prime Minister mislead Parliament? Whose version of events should we believe? How much does the truth really matter to him and to those who support him? How much should we care? Or is it just fluff? How important is the truth? Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And if you think you know, try doing what I did and read an article in a philosophical encyclopedia about it, and you realise probably that you don't. What is truth? Is it the question of an honest seeker after truth in Pilate's case? Does he really want to know? Or is it the contemptuous dismissal of Jesus' claim to bear witness to the truth? How do we interpret his question? It depends what you make of Pontius Pilate, or at least how he's portrayed in John's Gospel. Here we see a man who has more questions than answers. And as Pilate talks to Jesus, and he talks to the high priest, and he talks to the people, lots of questions. Trying to get a straight answer out of anybody seems virtually impossible. So it all starts when he meets the Jewish leaders and asks them, what accusations are you bringing against this man? Well, if he hadn't done anything wrong, we wouldn't be knocking at your door asking you to deal with him, would we? which tells Pilate actually absolutely nothing. So he turns to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, well, are you asking this question because that's what you think? Or has someone else told you that about me? So Pilate comes back with another question. Am I a Jew? Come on, it's your own people who've rejected you. What have you done? That's a question that doesn't get a direct answer from Jesus either, who talks about his kingdom not being of this world. So Pilate says, so you are a king then? Well, that's what you say, Jesus says. He talks about bearing witness to the truth. And after that, I can't help wondering whether Pilate's final question, what is truth? It's just an expression of exasperation with the whole process. He can't get a straight answer to anything. Can't get a handle on what's really going on here at all. But there is 
one thing that Pilate does know. There is one thing he is sure of. He might not understand who Jesus is. He might not know what he's done or why the Jewish leaders have brought this accusation against him, but Pilate knows without a shadow of a doubt that this man is innocent. The man standing before him has done nothing wrong. But he shouldn't be there at all. And we know that because three times Pilate says it. I find no guilt in him, he says. Chapter 18, verse 38. I find no guilt in him. Chapter 19, verse 4. I find no guilt in him. Chapter 19, verse 5. It's the one thing he does know. And yet, despite that, he has Jesus flogged. Despite that, he hands Jesus over to be crucified. The one thing that Pilate knows is true is not the one thing that drives him to do the right thing. When push comes to shove, truth is here, but he does what's politically expedient. He takes the easy way out. He tries to find a way to placate the crowd. In his world, in his world, truth, like the life of the man standing before him, is expendable. It's optional. It's there to be used if it's convenient, if it suits him. But it's not a fixed point in his life. And in our world today, we see it in the news, where the truth is crucified, innocent people die. Pilate doesn't come across as an evil man here. There's a whole debate about what kind of how wicked Pilate actually was in person, whether he was just trying to do his best or whether he was just a mean, cruel, hard-hearted man. John portrays him as weak, actually. Someone who talks about having authority, but who hasn't really got it, doesn't really exercise it, lacks the courage to stand up for what he knows to be true. Because that's difficult in the circumstances. And like many of us, perhaps, there's a whole lot of stuff that he doesn't know or understand. And he finds himself in a situation of moral compromise where, because there's so much confusion, what he does know just gets sidelined. The truth was not front and centre for Pilate. Self-interest was, or maybe self-preservation, or self-advancement, or what was convenient or expedient at the time. And when we don't put the truth 
front and centre of our lives, we end up doing what's convenient. Taking the line of least resistance. Doing what we can to protect ourselves or our interests or our position. And once we start to do that, it's easy to end up lying to ourselves as well as to those around us, persuading ourselves that we didn't know or we did what was right or we did our best. And where truth doesn't coincide with our vested interests, we set it to one side. And where we find something that does coincide with our vested interests, we tell ourselves, well, that's, that's the truth for me now at the moment. And we make ourselves believe it. So what is truth? Anyway, it's not what everyone believes. Not everyone believes the earth is round. But it is, however many flat earthers might disagree with that. Does truth correspond to reality? Well then we start to get into metaphysics. How do we know what is real, actually? What does truth conform to? What does it correspond to? Or does it just have to cohere with itself? Is anything self-evidently true? Some things might appear to be self-evidently true. But then you read the American Declaration of Independence. It's self-evidently true that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, in an ideal world, that might be self-evidently true. But not in the world we live in. It's idealistic, perhaps. But is it real? What is truth? Before Pontius Pilate stands a man who is not morally compromised. A man who claims to bear witness to the truth and who does so by what he says and by how he lives. That's why he's there, actually. Because in a world of lies, the truth is rejected. And Pilate, the Roman governor, thinks he holds this man's life in his hands. But Jesus says, you would have no authority unless that was given to you. And in reality, it's Pilate who is on trial here, not Jesus. He stands before the bar of truth and is found wanting. That's the trouble with Jesus, isn't it? He puts us on the spot. The question isn't, is the truth out there somewhere? The question he addresses to each one of us is, is the truth in here? In you? Does it affect what you think? who you are, how you live. And he sees through every attempt we make to defend ourselves. And as he bears witness to the truth, how do we respond? 
And what does our response say about us? What kind of people are we, really? We live in a world where truth is distorted, suppressed, denied and despised. And we all feel the pressure of that to conform, to fit in. But the thing about truth is, it can never be destroyed. Truth doesn't change over time. Doesn't go away. It can't be bought or sold. What is true remains true, whether you believe it or not, whether anybody believes it or not, actually. And just because you might believe something with all your heart, that doesn't make it true either. Truth is stubbornly, defiantly independent of us. And we find ourselves in 2022 in a world where so many of our fixed points seem to be giving way. It feels as if everything is just crumbling into chaos, descending into an abyss. Truth remains. Truth does not disappear or change. What was true then, before the pandemic hit, remains true now. What was true before Russia invaded Ukraine remains true now. Because truth doesn't change. So if it feels as if your whole world is dissolving, truth is one thing you can hang on to. And Jesus stands in front of us and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your beliefs about him might have taken a battering in these past years. Your feelings towards him may have changed. Your views on who he is might have altered. But he has not changed. He does not change. He will never change. So in a world of change and uncertainty, will you put your trust in him? Will you believe in him as the truth? Will you stake your life upon him and his truth? Make him your fixed point. And if, if as he stands before you and stands before you as truth and you look inside, and you don't see as much truth there as there should be. If inside yourself you see fear or uncertainty or compromise, 
Well, the good news is that's why he came to be your saviour. Because we're all flawed. We all fail. None of us stands guiltless before the bar of truth. And the invitation to us all today, if we stand before truth and think, oh my word, I failed there. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've compromised the truth. I've not stood by it. Come into my life. Forgive me. Renew me. Place your truth deep within my heart and soul and make it the basis of my life. That's why Jesus came. That's why he stood before Pilate. That's why he went to the cross. He remains the way, the truth, and the life for you if you accept him as your Lord and Saviour. If you want to pray with someone or talk with someone before you go, have a word with me or a Christian whom you know and trust. But in a world gone wrong, Jesus stands before us as the truth and offers to be our Saviour. And all of us, if we put our trust in him, can sing, thank you for saving me.
may grace and mercy and peace and truth and faithfulness and love from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ keep you all in this coming week. Amen. Amen.